On today's episode, we are previewing all first-round matchups, plus a recap of the final week of the season. All that and more on Check the Scoreboard. All right, y'all, welcome into episode 32 of Check the Scoreboard, man. It's been a special week. It is finally playoff week, man. We kick off the playoffs tomorrow, Saturday. Today is Friday, uh, April 12th or April, yeah, April 12th. Um, And so playoffs this weekend, man, exciting time. We're about to hit a really, really cool time of the season. As you all know, if you guys have been following the NBA the last couple of years or ever, the playoffs are one of the most enjoyable, most intense times. And you really see a lot of growth from a ton of players uh, around the league and a ton of teams from around the league. And we've got a ton of really solid matchups um, this year in, in the playoffs. And I think we've got some potential uh, for some really some some really cool upsets, depending on what happens. Um, but we'll get more into that in a little bit. First off, we want to we want to kick off. Uh, we want to recap the end of the season and and just say what what a season that it's been, a regular season that it's been. So much stuff has happened in the regular season that it's it's hard to keep track of all of it. Uh, but the first things that come to my mind when, when I think about the, the season as a whole, um, just guys like Derrick Rose, uh, who who had a, a solid comeback year, uh, guys like D'Angelo Russell, who had a, a breakout year, and then we got to show love and salute uh, to our, our two veterans who are leaving the game, Dirk and D. Wade. I mean, stellar careers, and the way that they ended their careers uh, in the NBA was phenomenal. Really wish that we could have gotten Wade in the playoffs, and I pushed really, really hard for that. Um, we now hate the Detroit Pistons. Um, so, yeah, I hope the Pistons get swept in the first round. Um, we also hate the New York Knicks. Uh, well, it wouldn't have mattered because the the Hornets still lost, but uh, but still, um, but man, like what a season it's been. It's I mean, Wade and Dirk, they go off. I mean, Wade scores 30 in Miami and in his final game in Miami. Right. And then he turned around the very next night on a back to back in Brooklyn and drops a triple double in three quarters in his final game in the NBA. It was magical. It's there's no way you could script that. But at the same time, only someone like Dwayne Wade, a three time NBA champion, you know, a 13 time all star, you know, former scoring champ, you know, all NBA like eight times. Only someone of his caliber could do something like that in their final game. And then we saw what Kobe did in his final game. We're talking about two of the three best shooting guards ever to ever play this game. And we grew up during that time, right? We had Jordan, and then we had we went immediately from Jordan into Kobe. Uh, and then while we had Kobe, we had D. Wade. And so we have three, you know, we just went through three of the best shooting guards in the history. One, two, and three, arguably. Uh, depending on who you're a fan of, you might want to put you know, Kobe ahead of Jordan, or you might want to put Wade ahead of, of Kobe. I don't really care. But for me, it goes Jordan, Kobe, then Wade. Those are my top three shooting guards of all time. And we just got them all back to back to back. And I was too young to see Jordan when he was when when he was playing. And, and I was born in 95, so I was still a baby. And then he had retired, and then he came back and played with the Wizards. And I remember the Wizards years, but, I mean, like, I was still very, very young. And I never got to actually see Jordan play. So all I ever see are highlights uh, of Jordan. But I got Kobe's full career. And I've talked about Kobe's career and, and how much I hated him growing up. But then I grew to really appreciate him um, just barely before it was too late, before he started suffering on the injuries and, and you know, with the, with his Achilles and his shoulder and things like that. But, but I got a full appreciation for Dwayne Wade. I 
loved Dwayne Wade when he came into the league. I watched that finals when he won and he, he literally put the team of Miami on his back when they came back to beat Dallas. I saw that. Um, I followed his career. I followed his all-star games. I followed him all the way up until, you know, they get Braun and Bosch and then, you know, they lose to the Mavs and, and then, you know, they come back and they beat the Thunder in five and then they beat the Spurs in seven, which you know, I will never, ever forget that feeling of feeling like that series was rigged. But individually for Wade, I, I mean, I rooted for this. I rooted for the man and I rooted for this guy. And I was so happy when he got back to Miami, uh, you know, because I knew that he would be able to finish his career there. Um and the way that he's done it the last you know year and a half in Miami, the way that he's finished off his career has been magical, has been wonderful, and it's been a joy for me to, to see. And then on the other side, you've got Dirk. I mean, the most seasons with a single franchise, 21, right? 30,000 points, incredible. Over 30,000 points, really 32,000, I think, is what he's going to finish with or close to that, I mean, 14 All-Stars, you know, like a 12-time All-NBA player. I mean, we're talking about Dirk, one of the greatest international basketball players our game has ever seen. He's up there with Olajuwon and um, and Yao Ming, and he's actually, I mean, he's above all those guys. To me, he's the greatest, the greatest international player that we've had in the history of our game because of the way that he's been able to revolutionize it. I mean, we had Olajuwon revolutionize the game, of course, uh, but but the way that Dirk has done it with his jump shot and uh, now all all seven footers want to do is just step out and shoot. You know, all they want to do is shoot threes and ex- and extend their game beyond the perimeter, and it's because of Dirk. I mean, Dirk really started that, and just his passion and, and his intensity for the game. You know, in Dallas and and willing them to the to the to those finals in two thousand four two thousand five. They lose, but Dirk still has a strong series. He never gives up. Dirk, I mean, he's in it, you know. He was just he was just a true competitor. And then he finally pushes his team over the hump in 2010, 2011. And he wins that finals. I, I couldn't have been happier for anyone um, to uh, who had never won, you know, a championship or, or anything like that. I mean, I was just so happy for Dirk. And to see his career and just to see that the way that he did it, I mean, you talk about Wade and Wade did it right. I mean, Dirk did it. I mean, Dirk did it right. Um, when you talk about guys like that, I mean, you, you talk about Dirk. I mean, it's just a class act around the NBA. And I really respect him, uh, you know, for not announcing that, you know, that he didn't come out and say that this was his last season. I mean, Wade in the beginning said that this was his last season. I mean, like we knew the entire year that this was Wade's last year. We figured that this would be Dirk's last year, and we just assumed that it was. Um, and he, you know, and then he tried to play it off and say, like, yo, you know, like, I could come back next year and things like that. But, I mean, like, deep down, I think we knew. And I think that Dirk was the kind of player that um, – and we saw it when – we saw it at the end, you know, how emotional he got when, when Dallas played their tribute video to him and things like that. And then when San Antonio – you know, did their tribute? They played their tribute, and he cried. And I think that he didn't want that kind of tour because he knew how emotional he would get before every single game. But the love that Dirk got all year long—I mean, like I remember vividly remembered the Brooklyn game that about a month ago when Dirk was in there and he checks into the game and he gets this 
enormous applause and he got it everywhere he went but he really got it in Brooklyn and they were chanting his name and they were rooting for him to get the ball and every time he took a shot I mean everybody all eyes were on him every time he made a shot they, they just erupted and that's the kind of love that people had for Dirk and, and that's the kind of respect that Dirk that Dirk got and I just got through reading an article from the ringer yesterday Thursday talking about you know Dirk's impact on the city of Dallas and how Dirk really grew with the city of Dallas and how Dallas the population you know wasn't what it was now and it wasn't the city that it was now you know even though it's one of today's like major cities and it's always been a great sports city with the rain you know with the Rangers in the area and with the Cowboys um, and in and, and the Mavericks and but at the same time it's sort of like Dirk and the city grew together and it was just like I don't know. He was more than just basketball for that city and the work that he's done in the community with, you know, with kids and, and he found his wife there and he has a family there. And he's, you know, he ended his speech in saying that he may be from overseas, but he's a Texan. I mean, like he's from Germany, but he is a Texan now. Um, and it's, it's great. It's wonderful. I mean, Dirk, 21 years in the league. I mean, Wade, 16, 17, he came in in, in 03. We're in, you know, so 16, 17 years in the league for Wade and 20, you know, over 20,000 points for him and, and Dirk to get to get over 30,000. I mean, we're talking about two guys when you put their numbers together combined. They've all, they've got almost 30 all star games. They've got almost 30 all NBAs um, and they've got over a combined like 50,000 points. First battle Hall of Famers, no doubt they will be going in together um, when they're both eligible. But I, I mean, I've spent the last like nine minutes really just applauding their careers because they deserve it. Um, I'm keeping track of my time here and it seems like that I've been ranting, but not really ranting, but just going on and on. But I mean, these guys command this kind of respect. If, if I had a podcast uh, back when Kobe retired, I probably would have spent an entire 20 minute segment talking about just how much I hated him, but had to respect him when I went back to look at his numbers and things like that. Thank God that I don't have to do that with Wade and, and, and Dirk. Uh, and thank you to Kobe Bryant for really just opening my eyes and, and just having me realize, like, even as a former athlete, like, I respect these guys and, and the work that they've done. And, yes, they've blistered my teams over and over again, especially Kobe blistering my Phoenix Suns and Dirk blistering my Phoenix Suns and doing so in his last game in Dallas, dropping, you know, dropping 30. And then he goes for 20 and 10 against San Antonio. I mean, like. I mean, yeah, these guys blistered my teams when I was growing up, but I have so much respect for them now, and I respect the things that they've done for our game. And no matter what these young, no matter what anyone else says about these guys, and you know, they, we, we are losing a piece of, of history, of NBA history, with these guys going out of the league, right? I mean, yes, we have guys who are following them, but there will never be another Dirk, there will never be another D Wade, there'll never be another Kobe. Um, and so that's why I'm taking this time to show these guys this love and appreciation. We had so many things happen. Like I said, uh, you know, way they the Heat were in it, right? All of, we we have the, the playoff field is set. We know where everyone's going to be. We know what's going to happen. The West has been set for over a week, and then the East came down literally to the last two nights of the season. Um, Detroit wins on Monday night. What's today? Thursday. Uh, Detroit wins on Monday night. No, today's Friday. Detroit wins Tuesday night, and. That eliminates Miami, even though Miami wins in Wade's final game in Miami um, to eliminate the Heat. So then, you know, we get Brooklyn and Detroit who clinched, uh, you know, and back-to-back nights. 
So that really leaves one spot left, and that's between um, – well, Detroit didn't clinch, but Detroit winning it eliminated Miami on, on Tuesday. And so we really get one spot left. You know, the Magic had won, and so the Magic had clinched. So and, and Brooklyn had won, and Brooklyn had clinched and, and, and locked themselves into that sixth spot. And, and congratulations to Brooklyn, and, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about them later. But really just um, – it coming down to the final game of the season for the Eastern Conference. I mean, like the Eastern Conference has been lagging the last couple of years and really, you know, the last maybe like decade or so behind the Western Conference. Just when you go back and you look at records and, and you know, just, a, you know, five years ago, you know, the Eastern Conference was struggling to get teams above 500 into the playoffs. And, and now they've had four straight years where they've had a, a team of that had a, at least a 500 record get into the playoffs. And they've gotten better and it's gotten better um, especially with LeBron James going back to Cleveland that evened it out a little bit. Um, and now he's gone and the Eastern conference made a big, they took a big leap this year. I mean, a big step. Detroit's the only team uh, at 500 or above. They win, you know, they needed, you know, Charlotte, it was really between them and Charlotte once we got to Wednesday after the heat had been eliminated. And yes, we were rooted for Kimba. Um, but at the same time, we sort of, I don't know, um, but they, the Detroit was in New York, so I mean, you really, you figured New York's not going to beat Detroit, um, and Charlotte still had to win as well. They had to beat Orlando, um, and, and Kemba played his butt off. He really did. He, he had, he had, I think he had forty. Yeah, it was insane. Um, he had close to forty of his teams, like a hundred points, and they lose. But it didn't matter. That that New York game was over by like halftime. Uh, Detroit had. That built like a thirty-point lead, and and so you just you just felt it, um, and you saw it because you were keeping track of the score. But that Hornets team didn't give up; uh, they they played hard all the way until the end. Um, and it's just it just sucks to not see Kemba get into the playoffs consistently because he's such a great player. Uh, he's, I mean, you see his highlights every single night, and you see all the crazy stats about you know how much of his team's points that he scored that night. Uh, and he's a playmaker and he's a shot maker and he's gotten better over the years and he's gotten better every single year and he's worked his ass off to be an all-star excuse my language but he's worked his butt off to be an all-star um, and he gets to this stage but his team is not there with him and so it sucks to see that from him uh, or it sucks to see that from his team uh, and so we may be talking about getting Kemba into a new into a new situation unfortunately but that's just the way that it is like we might be talking about getting Kemba into uh, New York, you know, back home or, or just out West, you know, with a team who needs a point guard like Phoenix. Um, I don't say that because I'm a Phoenix fan. I say that because Phoenix genuinely needs a point guard. And depending on where they land in the draft lottery, that made, you know, and, and they've got connections and links to, to all these different guys. Uh, you know, they could have had Kyrie, you know, they might be zeroing in on Terry Rozier, um, who would be available. You know, they might take uh, they may take John Moran in the draft. You know, they may take R.J. Barrett, whoever, blah, blah, blah. But Phoenix needs a point guard, and they need someone who can play beside Devin Booker. Uh, it hasn't really worked out in Charlotte for Kemba. I mean, could it work in Phoenix with those two guys? I know Kemba's a scorer, Booker's a scorer. They both have to have the ball in their hands. Uh, but Devin is, has improved his playmaking ability for others uh, drastically, and you saw that in his in his numbers this year, right? He posted 26, um, 6, and and, and 5. Um, and besides, you know, James Harden and, and LeBron, Devin had the most games where he, he had 
uh, where he averaged like 24 and 7 or, or something like that. I mean, I know Russ averaged a triple-double, um, but Russ didn't – he didn't have the points, right? He didn't have the points. He averaged like 19, 12, and 11 this year. So he didn't have the points um, like like we've seen him put up in the past. So so Devin, he, he's made tremendous strides, and his max contract kicks in in the summer. Um, but, you know, that's just where – that's where we are. And then the West, they were really playing for seeding. They were planning to decide, you know, who's going to fall uh, from three to eight. You know, Portland gets a big win and they and they stay at three. And then Houston ends up slipping down to, to six or, or five or whatever. Oklahoma City gets to six. The Spurs get to seven. And then you've got um, the Clippers at eight who really struggled coming down the stretch. Um, but it was, I mean, it was a fantastic final week. Of the, it was a fantastic final week of the season. Uh, in terms of just things that were on the line, we had guys showing out, showing off, and 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 while it's on my mind, shout out to Jamal Crawford uh, because um, he had fifty, he had fifty one in Phoenix's final game of the season against the Mavericks, and he seems like he could play for forever. Um, like this is his like nineteenth year in the league, and he's he he's the oldest player to score fifty points in, a, in an NBA game. Um, that's a testament to to him as well. I mean, like we know what kind of score he is. He was also he's also like the oldest uh, player to score thirty in three straight games, and he did that towards the end of the season. Um, and he's just a consummate professional. And and all watching all the exit interviews uh, from guys in Phoenix, just them talking about the leadership that he brings, um, and just every day he just came to work. He was a professional about it. No matter the record, he he just wanted to see guys get better, and he he'd help them get better. Uh, both on and off the court. I mean, you hear nothing but good things about Jamal Crawford. It's a well-deserved for him whenever he decides to hang it up. I mean, he is the sixth man. Like, I mean, they should just name the the sixth man award the Jamal Crawford Award. Um, and he deserves to go into the Hall of Fame. Um, I mean, like, he's, wor- he's worked for that. He's earned that. And we have to show guys who aren't consistently starters, like Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams, we have to show those guys more respect. We owe it to them. Um, yes, I mean it's a superstar league, but even then you still have guys who who are coming off the bench and posting up numbers uh, like Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams. Um, And those guys deserve the the respect because they've helped their teams get to where they are. Lou Williams, the Clippers wouldn't be in the playoffs without Lou Williams. Like he's been a constant bucket on their team all season long. He's hit game winners for them. Like he's hit big shots for them. Uh, he, I mean, like he scores the 30 points a game for them. Like they wouldn't be in the playoffs without him, but yet he's not a starter. So, I mean, where's the respect, right? And, and people in the league show their respect for, for these guys. But as a viewer, as a fan, really, I think it's about recognizing these guys and realizing like what they mean. If you truly are a basketball fan, realizing and recognizing what these guys mean to their teams, because some of these teams wouldn't be in the playoffs if it wasn't for, or they wouldn't be in the position that they're in if it wasn't for guys like Lou Williams or Spencer Dinwiddie, um, you know, who are strong variables on their teams as as sixth men. You think about Andre Iguodala um, for, for Golden State. Like, where would the Warriors be? You know, how many championships would they have if it wasn't for Iguodala? Iguodala won – the finals MVP at the beginning of this, this current Warriors run, like he was finals MVP, six men off the bench comes in and he is the one who, who plays the tough defense on LeBron 
and is still able to get big buckets for them in that in that 2014-15 series. So, right, like we have to recognize this. We have to to applaud these guys. We have to, especially when their career comes to an end, because to have a, to to play to be able to play the the number of years that Jamal Crawford has played in in the league, number one is is respectful. It's incredible. It's up there with Dirk. It's up there with Kobe. Um, it's up there with the guys who have played close to 20 years in the league. And to think about his age, he's 39 years old. Um, you know, he came into the league out of college, not high school. So uh, he, you know, he was one of the, he was sort of like an older guy in the league. And this was sort of before, I mean, this was around the time that you could come out of high school, but still, um, I mean, Jamal Carver comes into the league, he just gets buckets. That's it. That's all he does. Um, so respect to him. Uh, certainly, I mean, man, like, like I said, so many things have happened over the season. So many great things. So many good things. Like I, said, you know, the Derrick Rose thing. I just watched his. You know, he had his his documentary air or or live stream last night on, on Stadium.com, and I watched it live. You just forget about the kind of player that he was, or it's it's easy to forget the kind of player that he was. Uh, you know, especially with all the injuries that he's been through. And it seems like his career has just gone by so fast because he's had those injuries. Um, and his career is just, I mean, like at the beginning of his career, it looked like he was going to be a superstar, right? And he was a superstar. He was in, he was one of the youngest players to ever win MVP. He was the youngest player to win MVP. He was like 22. He was like 21. Um, he was rookie of the year. You know, he and Jordan are the only two Bulls players to ever win rookie of the year and MVP. And Rose did it within his first three years in the league. He did both. Uh, they looked like they were going to be, you know, a finals team. They were going to go back to the finals. They were going to, you know, Derrick Rose is going to put the Bulls back on the map. That's what it looked like was going to happen. And then his career derails. And then we get this beautiful season from Derrick in Minnesota. And it started off really, really well. Um, and it faded towards the end. Of course, you know, they didn't, Minnesota didn't keep up the pace of play. And they didn't keep up with the wind and, and stuff like that. But good grief, man. I mean, like, can we show some love to Derrick Rose as well? I mean, just it's I've spent the, the first like 30 minutes of this podcast and this is going to be a long one because we're going to get into playoff series, but I spent the first like 20 minutes just recollecting on, on really just who guys who are going to be NBA legends uh, when it's all said and done Four guys who are going to be NBA legends. Uh, when we're, we're telling our kids about these guys, like that, that's what I'm like, that's what we're doing right now. Uh, we're showing these guys the respect um, that they deserve, and 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 rightfully so because they they need this. Um, you know, like they're the reason why. Like those guys are the reason why I'm doing things like even doing a basketball podcast or or having a basketball blog because those guys meant so much to me when I was growing up, and and I was imitating those guys in the backyard or outside, like in in the driveway in, in my house, um, in Mobile, just like trying to, you know, replaying, you know, epic moments from their careers when they were hitting game-winning shots, like, or trying to do the Dirk fadeaway, like when I was running through, like, NBA highlights in my head of, like, what happened, you know, the night before, you know, just out there imitating those guys' moves, and and that's what's led me to where I am today. Um, And so if I'm going to spend 24 minutes talking about, you know, something, I'm glad I spent 24 minutes talking about Dwayne Wade, Dirk Nowinski, um, Derek Rose and Jamal Crawford. So uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into the NBA playoffs. Uh, we're going to do 
we're going to do the Eastern Conference first. Um, and then we're going to take another break and then we'll do the Western Conference. Um, I've got a lot of thoughts and I've got, you know, a lot of opinions about what I think is going to transpire and what I think is going to happen. And we're just going to focus on the first round. That's how we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to follow the first round, um, the, the next couple of podcasts. And then at the end, we'll do a wrap. And then we will, you know, introduce the second round. And, and that's how we're going to do this thing from here on out. Um, so stay tuned uh, after the break. We're going to come back and we're going to dive into the Eastern Conference first round playoffs. Uh, so, you know, more check the scoreboard on the way. Hey, welcome back. Uh, we are now going to jump into the Eastern Conference first round, uh, you know, playoffs. And before I say that, I'm really happy uh, about the the first part of the segment that I did, the recap of the season, and just the, the shout out really um, to our four NBA legends. That I was able to just, you know, my energy the entire time, I could feel it, that it, it never waned. And and one of the things that I've learned, you know, in my first year of doing podcasting is that it's really easy to fall into a lull, especially when you're by yourself. I've had guests on before and like it's never felt like we got into a lull or anything like that. But um, sometimes like when you're by yourself, you can feel yourself just sort of dipping into a lull and like getting boring and and things like that. And I'm very I never felt that in the first part. Um, uh, of this podcast. And so I feel really good about that. I'm really happy about that. Um, and sometimes it's better to just take a break if you do feel that way. But, um, you know, I'm hoping that I can carry that same energy into, into this part, talking about the playoffs and, you know, the matchups that we have, because we've got some really good matchups. You've got some really intriguing matchups. Just when you think about the Eastern Conference, you've got Milwaukee and Detroit, uh, you've got Boston and Indiana. You've got Philadelphia and Brooklyn. And then you've got Toronto and Orlando. So when I think about really the juggernaut matchups um, throughout the playoffs, I think the Eastern Conference has one and, and a possible. Um, you know, if you're thinking about spades and you're, and you're counting hands and you think about, you know, how many books you have, you you know, you go like, oh, I, I have like five and a possible or, or whatever. I think this Eastern Conference first round playoffs has, you know, the potential to have one really good shakeup. Um, and that's the Boston Indiana series. Just when you think about it from a from a standpoint, yes, the regular season is over. Boston, they made it, right? They 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 get home court over over Indiana, which is huge. Um and you know, Everything with Kyrie Irving that happened in the regular season, everything with Boston just struggling and it being this wishy-washy up and down team in the regular season is now over. It's behind them. They're going to Indiana, or they're not going. Indiana's coming to Boston, right? We they they end the season. Uh, they win six of their 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 final ten games. Um, you know, so we're here. You know, they they almost get to fifty wins. They finish sixteen games above, and just finally Boston gets it. Like they're in. Like that's it. And that's all we've been talking about all season long, just Boston. They just got to get to the playoffs. And when they get to the playoffs, then we'll see them take off from there. Well, that was what we thought with a healthy Boston team, but they're not healthy. Marcus Smart's going to miss four to six weeks, which could be potentially the first two rounds, right? So we're thinking about like, oh, well, we Boston may not have Marcus Smart until the Eastern Conference Finals if they can get that far. If Boston gets past Indiana, they have to play Milwaukee. Can they beat Milwaukee without Marcus Smart? Because if Milwaukee gets Brogdon back, 
Then they have Brogdon. They've got Bledsoe. They've got George Hill. They've got, you know, like their guard depth is easily deeper and better than Boston's with just Kyrie Irving and Terry Rozier. Um, then you, you start talking about guys like Jason Tatum, you know, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, guys, those kinds of guys having to handle the ball um, besides Kyrie and, and Rozier. And really, Rozier, is a, he's an okay ball handler. Why do I say ball handler like that? <laughs> he can handle the ball okay, but at times he gets to be a little bit too much. Like Marcus Smart, he puts the guys in motion. He puts them got. He puts those guys in the offense, and they get going. He's a catalyst for that team. Well, now you don't have Marcus Smart. Um, it's just Kyrie, it's Rogier, and then those other guys that I've named. So it's going to be really interesting to see this Pacers series because the Pacers are without Oladipo, but they've still got Tyreek Evans. They've still got um, Justin Holiday. Not Justin Holiday. They've got um, Aaron Holiday. Much love to the Holiday family. Um, you know, like they've got Corey Joseph. I mean, they've got a depth of ball handlers themselves. Oh, and by the way, their best scorer since Oladipo has been out has been Bogdanovich. You know, Boyan's averaging you know eighteen a game, um, and he's really averaging close to twenty a game since Victor's been out with injury, and so and that's been since January, like almost February. So for almost a complete three months, four months, Bogdanovich has been averaging 20 a game. Like he's picked up his pace of play. Like Doug McDermott's picked up his pace of play. Miles Turner has picked up his pace of play. And and yeah, this this Pacers team is sort of struggling into the playoffs. They're four and six in their last 10. Um, but they finished just a game back of Boston. And so this isn't going to be just a cakewalk series for Boston. This isn't going to be a sweep series for Boston. Really, when I look at this Eastern Conference, I don't see like the teams who could really sweep. I think just I think Toronto probably could sweep their way. They could probably sweep their way into the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, I think Toronto is just good enough to sweep Orlando, and I love Vucevic, and I think he's played really well. But they are outmatched at every position when you think about you know, who they have going up against, like they are outmatched. You have Siakam, who's having an incredible year. If not D'Angelo Russell, Siakam should be the most improved player. Um, you think about length at the center position, right? Toronto's got Gasol. Um, they've got, you just, I mean, like they, they've got Ibaka. They can run guys at you. They've got three-point shooters, you know, OG Anunoby, uh, Kyle Lowry, you know, wherever he's been the last like two months, like Kyle Lowry is still there, but really like the, the main player on that team is Kawhi Leonard, right? Kawhi who, you know, they were resting, you know, just being cautious with him at some points throughout the season. All right. Now he's in go time. He's in go mode. He's not missing another game unless he's injured. He's about to put this team on his back and really carry them. And I think they're good enough to sweep by Orlando. And if Joel Embiid isn't a hundred percent for that Sixers series, that would be a big blow. I think Toronto could sweep by them as well. So really, I think Toronto could be the only team that sweeps. Milwaukee could sweep as well, but I think Detroit probably steals a game. I think Blake Griffin is good enough to be able to will Detroit to at least one win. And if not in that series, then I think the winner of Boston and Indiana could give Milwaukee some trouble. Um, and I think Indiana, I think that Indiana-Boston series is going to be pretty deep. I think it's going to go six games. Um, 
just I, I really do think the impact of because when you get to the playoffs, it becomes about matchups. Um, and when I take a look at this Pacers team, this Pacers roster, they really, I mean, like they've got guys who can who can meet Boston standards. Like they've got Bogdanovich, they got Sabonis, who's been really huge, and he's really their sixth man X factor. You know, Miles Turner. You, they got Wesley Matthews who can who stretches the floor. Tyreek Evans who can slash and get to the lane, but he's also a bigger guard. So like he can guard Kyrie. Um, he can guard like Tatum. You know, he can jump off. He can guard who he needs to guard. And you got Thaddeus Young who's improved his outside shooting. Um, you know, McDermott comes off the bench firing from deep. Aaron Holiday has been a very nice rookie uh, for them, and he stepped up in Oladipo's absence. Like he's playing so much better. And he pressures the ball, and he can really guard uh, that point guard position, right? And they've got TJ Leaf, they got Corey Joseph. So this Indiana rotation runs deep, and I think it runs deep enough to be able to push Boston to six games, right? I think Boston is the more talented team, and they're the better team. But Indiana's got they got a taste of what it's like to sort of have a team on the ropes when they had. Cleveland on the ropes, you know, when they were up to on Cleveland last year. And I know they don't have Oladipo this year, so they don't, they don't have that one killer. But as a team, I think that they can rally and pull things together and push it to six. Um, once it gets to six, it's a toss-up. Uh, I don't, you know, whether they can push it to seven games or not with Boston, I'm not sure because because they don't have home court advantage and they haven't been a great team on the road, I think that's a disadvantage to Indiana in the playoffs. But I do think that they're good enough to be able to win two at home against Boston, maybe even the series at two and two, if they can't win at least one in the Garden, and then go back to Boston and then you know make things shake, see what happens. Um, but if it has to come down to, to a game seven in Boston, I don't know if Indiana can pull it out. Um, but it may not get that far. I think maybe Kyrie just decides like he's had enough of the BS, you know, like, he hears everybody talking like, is, is Kyrie going to leave? Like is Kyrie, you know, a threat to this team. And, you know, we're going to instantly hear about how well, like if we're not already, how well Boston played without Kyrie last year in the playoffs, Like we're going to hear about that. And then we're going to hear about if Kyrie now with Marcus smart out, you know, indefinitely, you know, for six weeks at max, we're going to hear about if Kyrie can have the same impact if he can carry this team further, if he can push them to the next level. Like, that's what we're going to hear. And Kyrie feeds off that. Like, I mean, like, he plays his best basketball when people are talking smack about him. Like, um, so we're going to see a, a, a strong Kyrie, and he's he's a champion. He's a freaking champion. So, like, there is no pressure associated with the playoffs with him anymore. Like, he's done this over and over again. That series is going to be – that series is going to be the most – intriguing to watch out of the Eastern Conference, and that's why I spent the most time talking about it. But I also love this Brooklyn-Philadelphia series, this 3-6 matchup, this D'Angelo Russell against you know, you know against the Ben Simmonses and, and the Jimmy Butlers, and really just this Nets team is kind of like this Pacers team. They don't have the star power, but they are collectively as a whole, they are great. Jared Allen, one of the better rim protectors in our league, he, you know, he's towards the top in, in blocks per game. Um, he's a seven foot guy, you know, they're not going to have Embiid this first series, possibly, uh, the Sixers aren't. So you're talking about Marjanovic, uh, who isn't physical and Embiid is physical. Like he imposes his will around the rim. Like 
he is bigger and he's filled out more than Jared Allen. And Boban is taller than Jared Allen, but I don't know if he's more physical. I don't know if he's physical enough to be able to either get Allen into foul trouble or to be able to get shots by him and get to the foul line and, and to consistently make them. And then you talk about D'Angelo Russell and the stardom that he's provided. Like, you know, we're, we're talking about the 20 points per game that he's averaging with, you know, like the, the five assists a game and just the ability to be able to go off at any moment in time to be able to put up 20 points in the quarter. That's D'Angelo Russell, right? If the moment's not too big for him as a 22-year-old in the playoffs against Philadelphia, against guys like Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick, you know, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, a team that is more complete than them, um, even without Embiid. And the Sixers struggle without Embiid. Like, don't get me wrong. They struggle without Joel Embiid, but they have enough star power to be able to get by a first-round series. Um, But this Brooklyn team may be a team that pushes them. Like, this may be a six-game series in itself. Like that Indiana-Boston series, this may be a six-game series if, if Philly mentally slips. And I think that's possible. But Jimmy Butler, he's hardened. He's, you know, he's sharpened from iron. Philadelphia, they've got guys with experience now. Simmons in the playoffs for the second year. Like he knows what it's like. Um, Reddick, I mean, he's a veteran of the of the league. He's been in the playoffs with the Clippers. Like he knows what it's like. He's gonna nail his shots. Um, and then you've got Harris. Like you've got guys like Harris and Jonathan Simmons, who played well with the Spurs in the playoffs, but like they're in new environments, right? I mean, like these these aren't like these conditions aren't new to them. I mean, aren't aren't familiar to them. Um, and so, and we've got a lot of guys who have never been in the playoffs on the court, and that's where we're going to see this weekend, in the first couple of games at least. And it's going to be about who can minimize the mistakes the most, right? Can D'Angelo Russell minimize the mistakes? Can he minimize the turnovers? Can he minimize the mental lapses? Can he take good shots? Because when you talk about guard play and the ability to score, Brooklyn has Philadelphia outmatched. But when you talk about physicality Philadelphia has Brooklyn outmatched um and who's going to stick to their game plan the best right like Spencer Dinwiddie coming off the bench he could put up points they've got Crooks they've got Jared Allen Jared Allen who's not a, a physical presence on the offensive side but he's a good defender right he's great um Joe Harris comes off the bench for Brooklyn and he fires up threes we talked about Damari Carroll he's been a he's been a big factor on this team this year He's played really well. We've we've seen the Demari Carroll that we used to see in Atlanta, um, and so who's going to stick to their game plan the best? I think Philadelphia can win a six game. I think they can win in six. I think they can come out of it and look forward to facing Toronto, um, and then that's really when the chess match begins, right? If they can get Embiid back for that Toronto series, uh, but we're not like I said, we're not looking ahead. We're just focusing on. But if they can get Embiid back, if they can just make it through this first round without Embiid. Um, I think Philadelphia will be fine, but it's not going to be easy by any means. Like this Brooklyn team is hungry. This is the first time they've been in the playoffs in like five years. Brooklyn, this, these are the, this is the most wins that they've had in five years. Um, so Brooklyn, I mean, they've got a lot to play for, right? They, they they got a lot of chips on their shoulders, and I don't believe in chips on their shoulders, but I think that they have enough to motivate them. Um, not to say that Philadelphia is not motivated, but I think Brooklyn, they, like, they've got the confidence, right? I think they've got the swag. You know, D'Angelo Russell, you know, the kind of player that he is, you, you see his emotions on the court. And I think that is the confidence that Brooklyn needs and that they can that they can display on the court to be able to go into Philadelphia and maybe split with them in the first two games. I think so. Um, and, and that's what I, I that's. So I think in six, I think that game, I think that series is going to go six. I think this Boston series is going to go six. 
Toronto sweeps in four. And then I think Milwaukee gets by Detroit in five. I just don't see how Detroit has enough to be able to compete um, with Milwaukee right now at this point in time. Yes, they have Blake Griffin. And yes, they've got Drummond. But I haven't seen a lot of Drummond. I haven't seen a lot from him this year. And then you think about like Brooke Lopez extending the, you know, ex- extending you know, out to the perimeter. He's dragging Drummond out there. That leaves the the paint vacant for Giannis to be able to go in and do work. And not to say that Blake Griffin isn't a great rim protector or a great defender, but I think Giannis is a mismatch for anyone um, on the court. Just his size and his ability and just like what we've seen from him this year. I don't know how Detroit has an answer for that, really. It is not so much that Detroit has to stop Giannis because even if they can, like Milwaukee is still good enough from the perimeter and outside and with other guys like Chris Middleton, like that they can still put up a hundred points. Like they're the, like they lead the league in scoring. Like they're number one in scoring at 118 points per game and Giannis scores 27 a game. Right. So they can get by if Giannis is only putting up 20. Right. Cause he's still going to get boards. He's going to have blocks. He's going to be like, he's going to impose his will on defense and really just, this Milwaukee team is too long. Like they've got length out the butt. Like Bledsoe is fast. He's quick, right? But if they get Brogdon back, then you're talking about Brogdon, who's a good defender. George Hill is a good defender on the perimeter to be able to stop guys like Reggie Jackson and Wayne Ellington and Luke Kennard. And they like they can hold those guys because of their length. Um, Sterling Brown, he's a long, lanky guy, but he can also play on the offense. Like they've got length to be able to to rearrange your shots, redirect your shots. Um, and makes and it's going to be tougher. It's like going through like I don't know a forest of trees with this Milwaukee team, um, and I don't think there's going to be enough Blake Griffin star power to be able to get these guys past five games. I think they can win one. Um, will they win one? We'll see. I think it's possible, um, and I but I think Milwaukee wins four one. I think that's how this series goes. I, I, there's just too much, um, and so. I mean, that's Eastern Conference. That's what I think. That's what I'm feeling. Um, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into this Western Conference because I think it's – there's so many – like, there's so many, like, layers to this Western Conference matchups, to these matchups. Um, yes, the East has gotten better, and that's been great. Like, it's been amazing to see the Eastern Conference be able to make strides in the first year without LeBron, but at the same time, are these matchups going to be on the same level as these Western Conference matchups? I really don't know. Um, I don't think so. I don't. I don't know if there's a sweep that. Um, I don't know. That, I don't know if there's a sweep that exists in the Western Conference. But we'll talk more about that. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, uh, it's Western Conference talk. So more check the scoreboard coming up after this. Okay, we're back, and we are ready to dive into the Western Conference. We are ready to peel this onion layer back uh, one matchup at a time and just to really just to dissect and, and really think about like what we could have here because this Western Conference could have, I mean, like if you want to go by seedings, you could have three upsets in this first round. Um, and that's the 4-5, the 3-6, and the 2-7. Really, you could have. It's possible. It's possible. Maybe it's more likely that we get two, um, or maybe it's just more likely that we only get one. But we have a possibility to have three upsets in this Western Conference Finals. We're going to go 
through. We got one eight. We got Golden State and the Clippers. That's one and eight. Then you've got Houston and Utah, which is a trickier series and a closer th- a, a closer series than you might think. And then you get Portland and Oklahoma City. And then you get Denver and you get San Antonio. Um, and we're going to go through this. I'm going to go through, uh, I think I'm going to start with 1-8 and then we're going to do 2-7 and then 3-6 and 4-5. Golden State and the Clippers. Uh, like I said in the last segment, I don't, is there a pot, like, is there a team that just sleeps through the playoffs or like, is there a team that just like it? Basically, is there a Western Conference version of the Toronto Raptors? Uh, yes, and they are known as the Golden State Warriors. Um, if there's a team that's going to just sweep their way into the NBA Finals, it's going to be Golden State. I think we are now in like most teams like have a like don't have a switch where they can just turn it on and turn it off. Right? You got to be able to. You got to be in sync. You got to be hitting your stride at the right time, and yada yada yada. Um, this Golden State team can turn it on and turn it off because they have so many All Stars. And they have so much star power, right? They got Steph, Clay, Draymond, Kevin Durant, and DeMarcus Cousins. That's just their starting five. Then you get to their second team. You got guys coming off the bench like Jonas Jurebko. You got they added Andrew Bogut, which I think is a huge boost to them, um, especially because they lost, uh, you know, Damian Jones at the beginning of the year uh, with uh, biceps injury. Kevon Looney is still on the team. Um, but he had been, you know, he had been suffering some injuries. Jordan Bell has sort of fallen out of the rotation. Um, he's had some, you know, he's been in and out of just being suspended and stuff like that from the team. But like when you get to their bench, they've got Bogut, they've got Iguodala, they got Sean Livingston, the God, um, who I advocate for finals MVP every year. Uh, like they're deep. They're one of the deeper teams in the league. Like, and you're like, oh, well, their starting five is what makes them so good. No, it's their ability to have a solid bench core that makes them so good because even though they've got those five stars, like those guys have to rest at some point, right? And Steve Kerr's, he staggered his uh, his lineups and things like that, you know, about keeping Steph and, and Kevin Durant in the game at times and keeping Steph and Clay in the game at the same time at times or, you know, running Clay out there with, you know, different teams and, and running, Ke- you know, Kevin Durant out there with different teams and things like that. But the bench's ability to come in and produce is what makes this Warriors team so good. It's why they are where they are. I mean, like, you can only get so far with the stellar starting five. Like, your starting five can be as good as you want it to be. But if you don't have a bench to support it, um, you're not going to win a championship. Because bench players, like, when you think about the Spurs – uh, and I'm not comparing Golden State to, to San Antonio, but when you think about the Spurs dynasty and what they've been the last 20 years, and they had Parker, Ginobili, and, and Duncan, but towards the end of that run, like Ginobili was coming off the bench. Like when they got Kawhi, and in the beginning when they had Bruce Bowen, like Ginobili was off the bench. Like he was the fact, like he was the X factor on on those teams. Like coming off the bench, being able to to give that that team energy and then towards the latter part they get patty mills they get um bellinelli you know when they win the when they win you know when they beat the heat you know when the heat were trying to go back to back to back um 
So it's always been about bench presence. And in the beginning, they had Ginobili, they had Bruce Bowen, they had guys like you who were solid contributors. So it's never just about your starting five. And this Warriors team does have the ability for the starting five to put up 100 points by themselves. But the bench ultimately makes like they make the big difference. And this Warriors team has the bench to be able to push them throughout the playoffs without losing a single game until they get to the finals. Um, will it happen in this first round series? It's possible. This Clippers team is is limping into the playoffs. Um, you know, before they won uh, Wednesday night, they had lost, you know, their previous three games. And when you look at their last 10, they're six and four, um, which is fine. It's not, it's not, that's not bad. I mean, it's better than, it's better than what the Nuggets are going into the playoffs with in their last 10, but. Critically, when you zoom in on it and you look at it, you know, like, oh, like they lost three of their last four. They lost three straight before, you know, before winning their final game of the season. That doesn't bode well, especially when you have to go to Golden State. Um, But this Clippers team is going to fight. That's what they've done all season long. Um, And that's what Doc Rivers has them believing. And I guarantee you, he has them believing that they can win this series. Patrick Beverly has those guys believing that they can win this series. Um, he has like they have that energy, that underdog spear that they can go in and they can complete the upset. Will, will it happen? That well, that's the part that we got to see. Like I don't think so. I think it's improbable. I think it's one of the more improbable series that we have. Maybe the most improbable, um, and that's how all of Golden State's series are going to seem. Uh, they're all going to seem improbable, but. This Clippers team is a unified unit, and they fight. They, I mean, Gallinari. When you just think about like what they have, like they have guys like Gallinari who can shoot. Uh, they get Garrett Temple in a trade. He's a veteran guy. They get um, Jamichael Green in, in the in that Memphis trade. Uh, he's a solid player, and he could come off the bench. He provides energy. They've got Montrez Harrell, and you know about the energy that he brings to the court, uh, night in and night out, and just being able to just get after rebounds and get those loose balls and and get you extra possessions that allows guys like Lou Williams to go to work uh, and allows guys like Lou Williams to put up buckets. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's been a very impressive rookie. We talk about Aaron Holiday and what he's been able to do for the Pacers uh, you know, since the Oladipo injury. Well, Alexander, Gilgis-Alexander has been able to do that the entire year for the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, and I love his energy. I love what he brings. Like he's – He's not quick with the ball, but he makes smart decisions and he can get to the basket and he has a pretty nice jump shot. Um, and so I think we're going to see flashes of of really good things from this Clippers team in this first round series. I don't think they can win, but I think we're going to see them challenge Golden State at times and make it hard for them uh, to score because I think they have good defenders and I think they have good length. They just aren't good enough. Um, but this isn't going to be a complete total wipeout in the, in the least. Like we're going to see flashes of good things from this Clippers team without a doubt. Uh, they're going to put up a fight and they may even get into a fight with Patrick Beverly, knowing him, uh, if you're golden state, I'm just thinking about getting to the next round unscathed, unscathed, like by this Clippers team. Like, I don't want, I don't want there to be any sort of like injury from, from anybody, because a, a Patrick Beverly play like went too hard or like Montrezl Harrell like out hustled a guy and like 
we were both dialing on the court for a, for a loose ball and like someone gets hurt. Like that would be the worst thing to happen for Golden State. Um, so it's just about let's get to the next round, let's have everyone be healthy, and then let's go from there. And then two seven, I think this this rock this this Denver Spurs matchup um, could be an upset for Denver. Like I know how good Denver is, and and they're one of the more improved teams. Literally one of the more improved teams. Uh, they didn't even make the playoffs last year. And then here they are. They're the two seed, and they were back and forth with Golden State all season long as the one seed. Um, all season long, you know, they get to 53, 54 wins. Uh, and that, I mean, when you, talk, when you talk about teams who had some of the bigger turnarounds in the NBA, you think about the Nets, you think about the Kings, and then you think about the Nuggets. I mean, the Nuggets, they had 46 wins last year. Um, and then – you know, they have 54 this year. So that's that's a plus eight margin, uh, you know, of victories for them. And and they are better, like, and they're basically the same team, like virtually the same team, but they have experience with each other and they, they get another year with under Mike Malone and they just put it together. That's all it is. They just pieced it together. You know, they, they got used to playing with one another. And they did all of this, like, without Michael Porter Jr., their first-round draft pick, who's missed the entire year. You know, with that back injury, you know, coming out of Missouri, like they've been so good all season long and he never saw the court. Isaiah Thomas missed the majority of the season, like, and he's one of their, one of the only guys on this team with playoff experience. So uh, he and Paul Millsap bring that, that playoff, you know, experience to this, to this Denver team. And they've got Jokic, who is in the MVP conversation for the majority of the year. And they have great role players. Uh, I mean, Gary Harris. He's three and D like he can shoot the three. He can play great, great defense on the perimeter for you. And he can guard the two through three, the, you know, the two and three positions. And then you've got Jamal Murray and you know what kind of talent that he brings up at the point guard position. Um, and they've got, I mean, they've got guys like Beasley and, and they've got, you know, Morris. Uh, I mean, and they've got Craig, Alan Craig, who also provides them with, with strong defense on the perimeter. So, if there's a series that I think in my head um, that could go seven games, I think that this is a series that could go seven games because I think the more that these Nuggets get, you know, they stay in that playoff environment, the more that they sort of figure it out. And they have home court advantage over the Spurs, which means that they get the first two games in their building. They're used to the environment. You know, they know they're used to the travel. Uh, it's just that you're in you're in you're in the playoff atmosphere. That's the only difference. You're in the playoff atmosphere. You know, like you're in a seven game series. This sort of thing matters. Um, you're not playing for seating or anything like that anymore. You're playing to stay alive. So how are they going to adjust to that environment? That's the only question. Are they going to be like? Are they going to come out? Are they going to fall behind early? Are they going to be nervous? Is Jamar Murray going to have you know off night shooting the ball like? Yeah, you know, those are the questions, but that's why they have Paul Millsap and Isaiah Thomas, guys who have been there before. They know what it's like. Um, they they can provide advice. They can provide on-court leadership, which is the, the thing that matters the most. I mean, you can talk to these guys all you want, and in practice you can tell them all about how it's going to be. Like, it's going to be like this, man. I, like, you know, it's going to be rocking. Like, it's going to be loud. Like, your adrenaline's going to be this, this, and this. But their on-court leadership and how they play on the court and how they display physically display their playoff experience, that is going to be the biggest key for Denver. Um, 
And yes, they have a superstar in, in, in Jokic. And yes, they have Jamal Murray. But Isaiah Thomas and Paul Millsap, for this Denver team, for as young as they are, never, ever, none of these players, like besides those two, having playoff experience, Paul Millsap and Isaiah Thomas are going to be two of the biggest keys on this Denver team. And then you talk about the Spurs and their experience, right? And that's why the Spurs, I think, have a, a strong chance to pull off the upset. Because they've got DeRozan, they've got Aldridge, they've got Pirtle, who's been in the playoffs with Toronto with DeRozan. They've got Pop, you know, arguably the greatest coach of all time in the top five, in the top three. Uh, and he's, I mean, like the Spurs have been in the playoffs every year since like the, the, the mid to late 90s. Um, this, like, this is a thing for them. Like, this is what they do. Like, they breed playoffs. He's got players who's, who have been there with him. Patty Mills, you know, Bellinelli, he's back. He's been in the playoffs with Pop before. He won a championship. Patty Mills won a championship. These guys know. He's got L.A. Marcus Aldridge. Aldridge has been there before with Pop. Um, so, like these guys, they're not they're not new to this. They know what it's like. And even before Aldridge got to San Antonio, uh, he was going to the playoffs with Portland, and DeRozan was going to the playoffs with Toronto. Um, I mean, like these guys, like they know what it's like. They know what to do. They know how to go to work every day. They know how to drown it out. They know how to keep their adrenaline suppressed and know that it's just another basketball game. Um, and then, but I think the biggest factor for the Spurs team, and I think one of the better two-year players uh, in, in our league, Derek White, without a question, without a doubt. His ability to be able to guard um, Jamal Murray and like Gary Harris um, – I think that's going to be a key for the Spurs if they want to if they want to get out and get in transition and, and get points up on the board. His ability to be able to stop those guys from scoring and being able to stop them from getting up threes, uh, Derek White's is going to be huge. I mean, I think he's one of the, he's probably the best two way player out of all the two out of all the two year players, the second year players in our league. Uh, Derek White because he can score the basketball, but also his defensive presence. Uh, when you talk about he's a, he's a six three six four kind of guy. Um, so he's a little bit taller than Murray. He's definitely taller than Isaiah Thomas. And he gives up a little bit. I mean, he gives up some size to Gary Harris. But, I mean, Derek White, he just bears down. He brings it. Um, and and so this Spurs team is going to be enjoyable to watch. It's going to be interesting to see if they get past this first-round series, um, what they can bring to the table. But um, if you're talking about an upset, we're talking about the Spurs over Denver. Yes, I know how I know how good Denver is, but I mean, it's hard to go. It's hard to bet against experience and guys who have done this before, and especially DeRozan, who's been so close to the NBA Finals, having played in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, it's so tough to bet against guys like that who have that in their DNA, like in their NBA DNA, uh, and have that in their NBA history. Like it's tough to go against those guys who consistently show up in the playoffs. Um, and, and perform at a high level, and, and I've been there before, versus a team who hasn't. Um, it's so tough to bet against that. But but here we are saying that the Spurs could, could pull it off, and I really do believe that if this goes seven, that the Spurs can can do it. Um, and then we go to 3-6, another potential for an upset. We're talking about the Trailblazers, and we're talking about Oklahoma City. Without a question, Oklahoma City can beat Portland in seven games especially since Portland doesn't have use of Nurkic uh, with, with that compound fracture in his leg. Um, and we know about Portland, they just haven't been able to get it done 
They got swept out of the first round last year by the Pelicans. It's, I mean, like, but they're also on a road to change that narrative. But I think Nurkic, who had been playing so well for them, this is where they're going to have to have guys like Myers Leonard and Zach Collins step up, who I did not think they were going to be able to throw into their playoff rotation. Well, now they have to. You have Ennis Kanter, and you know what Ennis Kanter can do. He's going to clean the boards. He's going to get you points. And he may even knock down the occasional three for you every now and then. But Zach Collins and Myers Leonard, and maybe Myers Leonard especially, has to show up. Myers Leonard, who is a seven-foot body on the court, has to be able to bang down low with Steven Adams when Ennis Kanter isn't in the game, or if they're going to run Kanter at the four and and Leonard at the five, he's got to be able to bang with Steven Adams and get boards and be able to to out-physic, you know, He's going to have to out-physical Adams, especially when Oklahoma City is looking for extra possessions um, because if you give Oklahoma City extra possessions with Russell Westbrook and Paul George, two assassins in their in their own rights, um, it's going to be a long night. It's going to be a long series, right? Fortunately, Dame and CJ don't have to go through Drew Holiday um, and the double team that, that New Orleans brought them last year. And... Mostly Dame, I think CJ is still working his way back, um, you know, from from his leg and from his knee injury, and it's great to have him back on the court. But Dame, this is going to be a big series for him. He is a career twenty point scorer in the playoffs, and had his worst year last year when he only averaged uh, like eighteen in that first round series. Of course, it was only limited to four games. Uh, but Dame, this is where we need to see him like make that. If he's going to carry his team, if Portland's going to be what Charles Barkley thinks that they can be, I you know, i.e. get to the NBA Finals or even to the Conference Finals, they need Damian Lillard to step up. And we're on the Dame train, and, and this is a Damian Lillard fan uh, speaking from, you know, these words coming out of my mouth are, we are pro Damian Lillard, but as a basketball fan, I absolutely hate to see this matchup in the first round because both of these teams are so good that we want more like we 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 want to see more from from either team who loses in the first round, right? Like I want to see more of Portland. Like I want to see how good that they could be in this playoffs. Like I don't want to see Portland lose in the first round. It was devastating to see them lose in the first round last year because I thought last year that they were so good, and then they come back and they're even better this year. So I don't want to see them lose this year in the first round. Well, I also don't want to see Oklahoma City lose this year in the first round, right? You talk about what they went through with Utah last year. And just they they lose mellow, and so you you think automatically that Oklahoma City is much better. Well, if they're much better, then can they like I want to see them get out of the first round much better. Like, what can they do? Can they get to their what What can they do if they can get to the conference finals? Right? Because I think this is a strong team. This is a solid team outside of Russell and Paul George, who can push this uh, this Thunder team all the way to a conference finals. They've got Grant. They've got Adams. They've got Ferguson. He's played really well. Uh, obviously, he's never played in the playoffs, and they and they've been as successful as they have without Andre Roberson, who hasn't seen the court a minute this season. So, right, like, what can they get from him in the playoffs? Like, what can they get from Dennis Schroeder, who's used to this environment playing with the Hawks? What can they get from him? Uh, they add Markeith Morris. He's been in the playoffs before with with Washington. He's got that experience. What can they bring from him? What can he bring to Oklahoma City, right? Um, Portland is a tough environment to play. They love their basketball out there. 
so so what can Oklahoma City do? In the, and they swept the season series with the Blazers, mind you. So they have the upper hand, right, at least from the regular season. But this is the playoffs we're talking about. And we've got, we've got experienced guys on this Oklahoma City team, no doubt. But uh, Portland fans, they love their basketball. They love their playoff basketball. Um, and so what kind of environment can Oklahoma City go into that environment and shut them up? Uh, I think so. I think they have a strong team. I think that this series could go seven as well, easily. Um, but I think Nurkic hurts. I think his absence hurts Oklahoma City so much. Um, I think it it's just going to be too much uh, for Dame and CJ, uh, who who combine an average uh, over 40 points a game as a backcourt. Um, those two do. They, they have gotten solid contributions from Alfaruk Aminu, who, who stretched the floor and, and been able to shoot the three effectively the last couple of years. Moharklins has played better this year. Uh, Evan Turner brings them energy off the bench, and he guides them. And, and they've got Seth Curry, um, who may end up being an X factor, right? Because if Seth Curry can shoot the ball well from, from outside off the bench, um, then that you're getting valuable bench scoring outside. You have to be able to do more than just spell uh, in his canter in a starting lineup you got to be able to to score the basketball as well when you've got guys like Dame on the bench getting a rest. If you've got C.J. McCollum who's on the bench getting a rest because he's still not used to to being back in that NBA environment after missing the last three weeks. Um, so, you know, Seth Curry is going to be huge. Evan Turner is going to be huge. Um, what can those guys bring? Like how can they and, – and they've got Rodney Hood – who, who can shoot it outside and he can slash and get to the rim. And this is where his value is really going to come in handy. Um, Portland has the guys, no doubt. They have the guys to be able to win this series. But can they collectively put it together? Individually, they've got the guys. When you say, all right, you've got, you know what Dame's going to bring you. You know what he has. Dame can, he's the unquestioned leader of this team, CJ McCollum. Smooth jump shooter can get to the rim, can get to the free throw line with ease. Like when you look at their individual talents, Evan Turner, great guy off the bench. When Dame's being spelled, Evan Turner can handle the ball. If you want to put Evan Turner on the court with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, then you can run off ball action with Dame and, and CJ and have those guys running off of screens. Like we know it individually what they bring, but can they collectively put it together to be able to beat Oklahoma City, who has Russell Westbrook and Paul George? Is Steven Adams and Dennis Schroeder and Markeith Morris, right? Like, do they do they have enough to be able to beat them? Um, we'll see. I don't – I really hate – like, I don't want to pick a winner of this series because I, I enjoy both of these teams so much, and this is such an unfair thing for the universe to do to us, um, to give us this series in the first round. It's so unfair of the universe. Uh, it's tough. I hope it goes seven, and, and, you know, if we get a seventh game, then it's – you know, flip a coin for it. And whoever comes out of this series, no doubt, um, I'll be happy for and I'll be happy to see advance on. And whoever loses, it'll suck to, to have them lose. Uh, it'll it'll super suck. Like, that's that's the only way I know how to put it. It's just, it's just going to suck. Um, and then when you look at this Rockets-Utah matchup at 4-5, you know, this the winner of this series would go on to play the winner of the Golden State series. Everybody, of course, wants to see the Rockets take on Golden State, but, you know, are the Rockets played out? 
Um, can they do it again? James Harden, is he going to get tired again? Is he going to run out? Like, is he going to run out of gas sooner? James Harden, who, you know, averaged, you know, the first player to average like 35 or whatever in a season, or I don't know, like to average like 36 in a season or whatever since Jordan, like, uh, like, are these guys going to run out? Like, is he going to run out of steam? Like, what can Chris Paul bring? He's getting older. How healthy can he remain? We're having questions, right? Like, does this style work for the Rockets? Like, was it a fluke last year that they got all the way to the Western Conference Finals and got to within a game of going to the NBA Finals several times, came to within a half, actually, of going to the NBA Finals in Game 7 of last year's Western Conference Finals? Like, was that a fluke? Like, does the D'Antoni system work? Are we going to finally see it work? Um, they've got Capella back. He's healthy. They've got Chris Paul. He's healthy. They've got Harden. He's healthy. They've got P.J. Tucker. He's healthy. Like, they've got the pieces. They've got Joe Green. They've got Iman Shumpert. Um, Kenneth Freed has been a force for them since they've added him off of waivers. Like, all right, you've got the offensive and the defensive pieces to be able to put a team out on the court. What are you going to do with it, right? Was are you going to fluke it up or are you going to actually – because this Utah team is a solid, well-put-together team, right, from head to toe, starting with Donovan Mitchell to Rubio to Crowder to Gobert to Ingles to Corver coming off the bench to Derek Favors coming off the bench. Like, this team is solid. Like, to Cephalosha, we love Cephalosha. We appreciate Cephalosha for always hooping in Air Maxes, uh, one of the, the more – improbable things to do in your life to hoop and air maxes like this utah team is solid this utah team is so good from top to bottom well well structured kind of like this portland team is uh when you talk about like all the parts all the pieces making a whole like all the pieces of the puzzle making the puzzle like this utah team is it it can houston avoid the utah upset I mean, Oklahoma City lost to Utah in the first round last year. It, can Houston avoid it? Because his Utah team is good. Donovan Mitchell, even better in his second year than he was in his first, right? He was sort of struggling at the beginning of the year. He was taking too many shots. He was turning the ball over too much. He still maybe turns the ball over too much, but he's rectified his, his inability to hit shots. Um, and he's played so much better since, like, January. He's played so much better. Uh, and he is an unquestioned leader on this team. He's the best player on this team. But does he make this team go? Yes. Yes and no. Guys like Ingles and Crowder with the grit that they bring make this team go. Gobert, the work that he does on the defensive end, makes this team go. And Donovan Mitchell is just the exclamation point, the literal exclamation point that will dunk all your all your dreams into nightmares. Can Houston avoid that? Can Chris Paul keep up with Donovan Mitchell? Can he guard him? Like where, like Chris Paul isn't as fast and as quick and as nimble because Chris Paul, one of the better thieves in the NBA, um, is now older. Leg injuries constantly eat him, eat at him. Can he guard Donovan Mitchell? Can he stay in front of him? Uh, these are questions that I'm not a- that I'm not asking, but I think these are questions that need to be answered in, in this series to be able to prove to me, or to at least be able to convince me that Houston is serious about taking on Golden State or whatever, that they can even get past this first-round series. I think Houston can do it, um, but they're on upset alerts, you know, obviously. Can Utah go into Houston and win two games? No. Can they go into Houston and win one game? Yes. And then when you go back to Utah, 
can Houston win a game in Utah? Obviously. Um, but can they win two in a row in Utah? I don't know. That's the question that I don't that I don't know the answer to. If Houston has to go back and forth with Utah, I think Utah can mess around and, and get a couple wins in a row and have Houston on the ropes. Um, I'm not doubting James Harden. I don't think that he's going to be too tired or any. I don't think he's going to run out of gas. But I think he needs a supporting cast around him because if anything, uh, Utah has the ability to play defense like that Milwaukee game that we saw. Uh, from Milwaukee when, when they just swallowed James Harden in the lane and made him kick out to, to other guys on his team and, and have them beat him or have those other guys beat the Bucks, which they couldn't. Um, I think Utah has that defensive ability to swallow James Harden, make him pass it around to other guys um, and have those guys beat you know Utah. I think if you're Utah and the other guys just beat you in this series, you're satisfied. Like, you can't do anything about that. But if James Harden is the one who's beating you constantly, going off of 40, scoring 50, triple doubles, whatever, you know, scoring 30, having 20 points and a half, 20 points and a quarter, um, if James Harden is having that, then no, nah, you're, you're good. But we got to take a break. Otherwise, it's going to cut us off. When we come back, we're going to finish up this Utah series. But like, uh, we're welcome back. The app that I use or the the um, engine that I use to record my podcast will not let me record longer than 30-minute segments. Um, and I got really, really close, actually. I got to the, the 29, 50, to 29 minute, 50 second mark before I realized like I'm running out of time. Um, so, but, but like I was saying, if Utah loses to, to Houston because – Guys like PJ Tucker and Joel Green and Amon Shumpert hit threes to beat them and and whatnot. Like that's fine. You can live with that. More times than not, like those guys aren't going to hit enough shots to beat you. Um, and you're going to be able to win some games, even be able to win three games in this series. But if you're you're letting Harden get off for you know 40, 50, whatever, it's going to be tough. Um, so that that's going to be the key. Can they contain Harden and make the other guys beat them? And also for Houston, the key is going to be. I think Chris Paul is, is a major key because we saw last year with Chris Paul on the court how effective James Harden was and, and how effective the rest of the Rockets were because he can still get to his spots in the court, hit that free throw line, you know, fadeaway jump shot, get into the lane, create uh, for his big men like Clint Capella, Fareed. Um, he can make plays for those guys, but he has to stay on the court long enough. He has to He has to be healthy, so... Uh, that's that's a major 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 key for for Houston and and Utah. Um, can this series go seven? Only if Utah is able to do all of those things consistently. I don't know that it can go seven. I don't know that Utah can outlast Houston. Um, it's possible that if Utah does beat Houston, it is. I think it's going to have to be in six. If it gets to a game seven, Houston wins. But Utah can beat Houston in six games. Um, I think so. Houston can beat Utah in five. Uh, if they are clicking and, and playing well, I think Houston can beat Utah in five. Um, who am I going to pick? Um, I don't really like picking teams, but I guess I picked 
Did I pick for most? I didn't really pick for Eastern Conference teams. I picked Toronto and Milwaukee were the only two teams that I that I picked. I felt really confident. Um, this Western Conference, I don't want to seem like wimpy or scared by not picking teams, but um, these are just these man. These like I don't know. I don't know. I'm tired of picking teams. I don't want to pick teams. I just like doing who I, like what I think are the keys. And if I like I like doing what I think are keys, and if a team can do a certain thing, then uh, like they they win. Um, so yeah, like if, if Houston does, if Houston is able to, depending on the matchups, if Houston can get contributions from their other guys, Chris Paul can can stay on the court. I think Houston can win in five. If not, then I think um, Utah has to win in six if they're going to win this series. Utah has to win in six. They're good enough to do it. They can beat Houston, um, and that's it. That's that's how I'm going to pick them. Um, so we're going Golden State. I'm going I'm going convincingly Golden State out of the Western Conference to get to the next round. That Houston Utah toss up, Portland Oklahoma City, you know those keys like Lillard. Can those guys put it together? Can they can they put it together to collectively get by Russ, PG, and Thunder? That's going to be key. And then this Denver this Denver Spurs series, um, can the youth of Denver rally around their their two veteran guys who have experience? I don't know. Um, can they put it together? I don't know. Spurs veteran experience all around. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to pick the Spurs. I'm going to, so I'm going to have two solid picks uh, for the first round in the West, like I did in the East. And then I'm going to have uh, the next two games just be uh, just really just have like uh, just keys, just things that they can do. So, but that's it. That's those are the only two I'm going to pick. Um, I'm not picking Utah and Portland because, I mean, I'm not picking Portland and Oklahoma City because. I'm, I just want to enjoy that series because they're, they're both really good. Um, and that's like, I can do whatever I want because it's my podcast. It's my podcast. I can do whatever I want. But that's it. We're going to wrap this up. I'm going to go through the schedule um, of games that we've got. And it starts Saturday, April 13th. That's tomorrow. First game is Brooklyn, Philadelphia. And then you've got game one of uh, Orlando and Toronto. Then you've got Golden State and the Clippers on ABC. Uh, Portland and Toronto, or Toronto and Orlando are on ESPN. Brooklyn and Philadelphia are on ESPN. And then Golden State, Clippers are on ABC. Spurs, Nuggets are on ESPN. And that's the last game on Saturday. Sunday, you've got Pacers and Celtics on TNT. Oklahoma City and Portland on ABC. Detroit and Milwaukee on TNT at 7. You've got the 9.30 game at Utah and Houston um, on TNT. And then Monday, you've got Brooklyn and Philadelphia on TNT. You've got Golden State and the Clippers on TNT. That Brooklyn game gets started at 8, so 7 o'clock Central Time. And then that Golden State game is a, is a 9.30 Central Time game. Um, and that's before we get to the game twos. Uh, then from there, you've got whatever you've got. Orlando, Toronto on on Tuesday. You've got Spurs, Nuggets on Tuesday. Oklahoma City, Portland on Tuesday. And that's it. And then those teams take off and, and do whatever. Um, and we've got breaks and things like that. So, um, But that's going to wrap us up here on on, on episode 32. Um, that's, that's what we got. We, we've wrapped up the regular season. We've wrapped up 
the first round of the playoffs, and I couldn't be more excited about the first round of the playoffs. Uh, obviously, we got some some really good matchups all over, all across the board. Uh, things that that I'm pleased about, that I'm happy about, that I'm excited to see, and some teams who I'm excited to watch. So uh, we've got a wonderful weekend ahead of us, just basketball wise, sports wise as well. We've got the Masters, we got baseball. Uh, we've got the NHL playoffs, so um, you know if you want to stay inside and, and watch those things and, and enjoy it, especially here in Alabama, we're expecting some weather, um, so you know stay safe. If you're going to be out driving and it's raining, you know be careful when you're driving. If you're going out this weekend, be careful when you're driving. Um, you know be careful where you're at. You know know your surroundings. You know have a close point of contact. Know who you can call and, and know you know tell someone you know where you are. Um, and, and things of that nature. Just have a, a wonderful weekend, a safe weekend, guys. Um, and I look forward to, to meeting you guys, uh, you know, next week and, and talking about some of the first round games that we've had up to that point. So um, that's going to do it here for episode 32 of Check the Scoreboard. I know this has been a longer episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, check the Scoreboard blog. I promise that I have it coming to you. Um, I promise I have another one coming. But thank you guys so, so much for the support. As always, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, um, or Facebook, or just Twitter, at Jamal Kennedy. That's J-A-H-M-A-L Kennedy, K-E-N-N-E-D-Y. Greatly appreciate the love and the support that you guys show. Um, I say that a lot, but, I mean, truly, I mean, I appreciate the feedback that you guys give me and, the, you know, when you guys tell me that you enjoy this and, and things like that. So it really means a lot to me um, because this podcasting world, everyone is doing a podcast and, and even I sometimes get, you know, I have these thoughts about whether I want to keep doing them or, or not because there's so many. And I know there's so many other people who are better than me at this. Um, but when you guys say that you like listening to them, I feel energized to bring them to you. So um, I'm very grateful for that. But episode 32, it's a wrap. It's in the bag. Everyone have a wonderful weekend. Thank you.